Hey, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams. Joining us today is the big kahuna himself, the big sports kahuna from the North Coast in Cleveland, Ohio, Kendall Lewis. Also joining us uh, from Boston, who's now uh, in our neck of the woods watching the winter meetings, Tim Williams. Tim will be talking to us about what's going on there. And, of course, the Sunshine Boys themselves, Mr. Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. Gentlemen, big news at the winter meetings. Um, the Boston Red Sox, who desperately needed pitching because Rick Porcello was only good enough to win the Cy Young, um, go out and get somebody. Tim, what happened? Well, the deal is they're going to get Chris Sale from the Chicago White Sox. In return, they're giving up Yoan Moncada, who's the one of the best prospects in all of baseball, as well as Michael Kopech, who's a pitcher who can throw absolute smoke. He's still very raw, but he's he's got quite an arm. There are going to be two more people heading over in the deal. We're not quite sure who they are yet, but the headline is Chris Sale to Boston, Yoan Moncada to Chicago. I know that there's a certain number of Red Sox fans that are thrilled about this, and most White Sox fans are thrilled about this because they've wanted the deal sale, and this is the deal they wanted. So they got the King's Ransom that they were looking for. Is that the deal? I think so. With as productive as the Red Sox farm system has been, when you're hearing scouts say that Moncada might be the most talented of the bunch of the Xander Bogarts, Mookie Betts, Andrew Benintendi group, that Moncada might be better than all of them. And the Red Sox are knocking on your door, offering him to you. And the White Sox clearly want to rebuild their team. This is the guy to build around. He's, he's going to be a left side of the infielder for years and years to come. Well, we know that Kendall, who is a diehard Red Sox fan his entire life. Um, Kendall, you were happy to hear this trade, huh? Uh, no. Uh, you know what? Here, here's the thing. Um, it always turns out for us as Indians fans that we have to go through Boston to get to the World Series. Every year, any year we do it, any year we advance, any year we have a great team. So can you imagine the front three of, I guess, Chris Sale first, Porcello second, and then uh, I guess David Price in third? It's the, it's a case of the rich always getting richer, and I, and I think that's why uh, fans in Cleveland. I wouldn't say they hate Boston, but they hate Boston because Boston always finds a way to be relevant with the best and the greatest on the market, just as the New York Yankees, and I guess. That is born of having to keep up with the Yankees, but good night. That is a tough playoff rotation, as tough as the Indians is going to be once they get healthy. So, yeah, I I applaud the Red Sox for doing what they had to do. But beware, because the Indians' front three is just as good. Their whole staff's probably deeper. And if they come up with Edwin Encarnacion in the middle of that lineup, I don't fear anything out of Boston. So bring it on, guys. Okay, Joe and Ira, it's uh, your show. Uh, you can talk to these guys. Tell tell us what you want to talk about. Well, uh, I'm I'm sitting there listening to what might happen to Cleveland in the in the playoffs, dude. How would you like to be in the same division with those guys? And you come in with a three game series to face those three monsters. Uh, this is why I, I really think, given that the way baseball has sort of swung back uh, to uh, the rich get richer in the last few years. What the Rays did uh, in in the American League East uh, during the Joe Madden era is, is something that really, I don't know, should should go into a time capsule because I don't think we're going to see much of that kind of stuff out of the the really uh, downtrodden franchises anymore, like the Rays were, and unfortunately, like the Rays are again. I'm going to take a different tack, Jim, because. I'm going to give the Red Sox their full marks. Uh, Tim, they, they didn't buy Chris Sale. They had the goods to go get Chris Sale. And the reason they had the goods is they got a heck of a scouting department. Look at all the young talent the Red Sox have accumulated. Uh, great scouting, great prospects. 
give you the ammo to go make a deal of this magnitude. So, Jim, uh, I understand, uh, you know, Kendall throwing up his hands a little bit, uh, but in this case, uh, I just think it's a reflection of a heck of a job uh, that the Red Sox scouts have been doing uh, uh, in recent times. Oh, Ira, you're, I, I think you're right. I mean, one of the great things about you talk to general managers and they'll tell you, you know, it's a pr- the term prospect is just that, a prospect. We know who Chris Sale is. We do not know how good these prospects are, are going to be. So they made a deal. Uh, my question to you guys, uh, the Tampa guys here, is A, seeing David Price as the number three on the team is pretty awesome. And two, is Cobb going to get traded or any of the pitchers from the race? Are they um, – is that how they're going to build the, you know, rebuild the team? Are they going to, to make a trade for an Alex Cobb or uh, a Chris Archer? Are they open? Or are they, are they on the the market? Do you see the Rays trading them? Well, I I have to be honest with you at this point and say that I'm not very impressed with what the Rays have done uh, movement wise in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, they Just seem post to be Andrew Friedman. The, the post-Andrew Friedman era, um, they don't really they're, – they're so heavy into analytics, and they don't really seem to have baseball people, pure baseball people making those decisions, uh, which if you go back to when Andrew Friedman was there, yes, they used analytics, uh, but they also had Jerry Hunsicker, uh, a great baseball man, to right. sit there and, and balance things out. That element is missing now. And so what you hear is that they're going after catchers who can frame pitches and hit a buck 37. Uh, they're going after, you know, guys who uh, are left-handed phenoms on Tuesday afternoon games. Uh, and they're not, you know, they're trying to get by on this small market, you know, oh, we don't have the money to compete with the big boys, so we're not really going to try. Translation, I wouldn't be surprised. Whatever they do and whatever they do, I think will be wrong. <laughs> okay. Jim, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't move either of those two guys for, uh-huh. uh, for two reasons. Okay. One, uh, the Rays' identity has been, and I think always will be, pitching and defense. Uh, number two, maybe more importantly, guys, uh, I don't think they're going to get value. For either guy, uh, mm-hmm. Cobb's been hurt quite a bit. Archer lost 19 games, even though he's a talent. So I don't think the timing is right. I'd keep both of them. They have the nucleus of, of a strong rotation, uh, you know, so you could win 85 to 90 games if things go right. Go get yourself a hitter, trade a prospect. Um, but I don't think you're going to get value, Jim, at this particular time. For either of those two pitchers. Oh dear Lord, Ira, eighty-five or ninety games? Are you smoking something, man? This Come is on, a now, sub Henderson. five. Come on. This is a this is a sub five hundred team at best. If I mean, they managed, got to go out and get a couple of sticks, Henderson. Get a couple. Well, of sticks. it's not going to happen. So you know, concentrate on the Bucks going to the Super Bowl. Hey, Ira. Hey, I got Mark Melanson. That <laughs> I was going to say. I was, I was just going to say, Mark Melanson gets a deal. That's worth sixty-three or sixty-four million dollars, which is only fourteen million dollars over what what the uh, what the uh, Phillies paid for Jonathan Papelbon, and uh, that puts Kenley Jansen and Araldis Chapman in the. I want to make more money than uh, than oh, Melanson I, does. Tim, any word on whether or not the Yankees are? Um, are closer to, uh, I think they had, what was it, an $80 million deal out on the table for uh, Araldis Chapman? The last I heard was $80 million. So that that's where it stands at the moment. But there's not been a lot of movement on that. The thing with the winter meetings, right now, since so many trades are happening, the Chris Sale trade just happened. There's all this stuff in the in the offing that the Nationals were out there looking for Sale. They might be looking for another pitcher right now. And all of this is coming very fast and furious. So if you're an agent, you might want to wait for the smoke to clear a little bit. And with the Yankees' wealth of prospects, you hear the words mystery team a lot in these trade rumors. I think you can solve the mystery. It's probably the Yankees. 
they they want to see what they can get out of this and if at the end of it they still need chapman they'll go get chapman too kendall well, anybody in chapman cleveland six years. Yep. sorry joe i was going to say supposedly chapman wants six years which is absurd uh for any pitcher let alone a closer i don't care how hard he throws yeah, there have okay. maybe been five closers in the history of baseball who have been good for more than five years at a time. Yeah. Well, what's the um, what's the situation on Kenley Jansen? Any word on that one? Um, not a whole lot so far. Now that now that Melanson signed with the Giants, it's starting to take shape what the market is for everybody. But with with bullpen pitchers, there's so many teams that always need another guy especially now that you saw what the Cubs did with their bullpen and what the Indians did with Andrew Miller and Cody Allen at the back of games in the postseason. Now people might not just want one closer. They might want a closer and a half, a guy that they can bring in like an Andrew Miller. And that's going to make Chapman attractive to a lot of teams. It's going to make Kenley Jansen attractive to a lot of teams. And Brad Ziegler is still out there. He might be attractive to a whole lot of teams as a setup guy that could also close. Hey, guys. uh, Dodgers, Jim. Don't sleep on the Dodgers. They got oh, a no. lot of money, and yep. they spend it. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, guys, a uh, quick uh, opportunity to, to welcome uh, one of our guests, another one of our guests, from the Registered Guard newspaper in Eugene, Oregon, Ryan Thornburn. Uh, Ryan, thanks for coming on with the uh, Sunshine Boys podcast. It's great to have you. Uh, let me introduce you to um, Tim Williams, who is covering our uh, the winter meetings. He was the one just talking uh, on what's going on in the winter meetings. We've got uh, from Cleveland, Ohio, Kendall Lewis. We've got the Sunshine Boys themselves, Joe Henderson and uh, Ira Kaufman. And now from uh, Eugene, Oregon, Ryan's with us. Ryan, um, welcome to the show. And uh, any uh, anything you want to tell us about what's going on in the uh, uh, possible hiring of a coach at the University of Oregon? Well, it's still an ongoing search, and uh, Willie Taggart from South Florida is clearly one of the people that Oregon is considering. Um, it's kind of interesting, the timing of this whole thing. Um, apparently, some of the Oregon brass is at the funeral of Chip Kelly's father in Maine, so that could be delaying it a little bit, but uh, uh, it's just been... Uh, you know, a week-long search now, and it's getting down to crunch time. I can confirm this, which uh, I was speaking to Ira earlier. A source close to the University of Michigan program has said that, um, told me today, that um, Michigan head coach and former Stanford head coach, uh, Jim Harbaugh, has spoken to a member of the Oregon search team on behalf of uh, Willie Taggart, which I guess means that Willie now has uh, endorsement letters from Tony Dungy and uh, and uh, and Jim Harbaugh. Now, I don't know whether that helps you or hurts you, depending upon um, you know how it how it plays out. But uh, I think Dungy's uh, got some clout, Jim, out in Oregon. He's out there all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's always you know sending pictures on Twitter. I think he's mm-hmm. close to the administration. I think he's a target guy, Joe, and why wouldn't you be? Uh, I think um, I think Dungy's recommendation would carry some weight. Well, here's, here's the thing. Uh, the, the biggest story locally here in the Tampa Bay area regarding USF has, has really bubbled up in the last 24, 36 hours that already they're talking about Lane Kiffin as a successor to Taggart. So... You know, there's a lot of a lot of wheels in motion right now. Obviously, it depends on Oregon. My guess is that you don't get um, those types of endorsements that Taggart got unless you know he's okay with Dungy and and Harbaugh putting that that word in for him, and that tells me he really wants the job. Ryan, what do you? What do you think in the way of a timetable here? I I heard it's twenty four forty eight hours something in that regard. Yeah, I would I would think Oregon would like to make an announcement today or you know at the latest tomorrow. Their football team is going through final exams right now um, during this week, and then they're going to be gone for the holidays. Obviously, no bowl games, so uh, it's kind of important for the coach to 
to have his press conference to meet these guys and then to uh, get on the recruiting trail for, you know, at least uh, the remaining four or five days, whatever it is, till that dead period, December 12th, and uh, get started. And then after that, during that dead period, obviously you can put your staff together. But uh, time is definitely of the essence. I know Rob Mullins, the athletic director, is not worried about the recruiting class. He's worried about uh, turning over every stone and getting the right hire and then worrying about recruiting after that, which is a smart way to do it. But uh, let's face it, recruiting is a big part of college football, and Oregon really needs to fill some holes in this class. So I would think, you know, in the next 24 to 48 hours, for sure, it'll be over. Have they lost anybody from that class yet? Or, you know, what kind of class do you think they're going to have? They have, you know, their top-ranked guy um, and another player. They've lost two already that have reopened their search um, for a home. From what I've been told, for those who cover recruiting closely, both those guys would be willing to to listen to the new coach and maybe recommit to Oregon, but they're just covering their own bases. But uh, right now, yeah, they have lost a couple of verbal commitments. Here's what I want to know, guys. Go ahead, Kendall. Uh, I know that um, P.J. Fleck was in the middle of all of those conversations as a guy who would consider going to Oregon. Uh, and I hear in the last few hours he's now out of the mix and Taggart has moved to the front. What was it that took uh, Fleck out of it, or was Fleck, himself, you know, settled to stay where he was until he got a job that, you know, suits him better. Yeah, all indications are that Fleck was never really a serious candidate at Oregon. I don't think, believe he actually interviewed with Oregon at this point. Um, I think he's viewed more as, you know, a Midwestern type of guy. And, you know, his body of work overall uh is not as great as this season. He's built a nice program at Western Michigan, but I, I just think Willie Taggart has been at more places. Matt Rule has done it longer. Um, even Greg Schiano, um has done it at Rutgers and has an NFL background. So I just don't think he quite had the depth of resume that they were looking for. And let's face it, when you fire a coaching staff that was in the national championship, um, two years ago, basically they won 70% of their games, Mark Helfrich and his staff. I, I was thinking they would go for an even bigger name than Willie Taggart. So it's the issue to see if they can pull a curveball and, and surprise everyone or, um, you know, if Taggart is going to be the guy in the end. Let me ask well, – uh, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, Rule is uh, – he's out now. He's at Baylor, correct? That's correct, yeah. And uh, – Dan Wolken, who I know from USA Today, said that, that Oregon did um, covet him last night or was at least pushing for him last night. Well, we all know the last Temple coach, uh, Al Golden, and um, may he rest in peace, wherever the hell he is. Um, he um, nice man, but it didn't work. So let's see. We'll, we'll see how this one works out for, for, for Baylor. Guys, um, what I was just going to ask was um, – both Joe, you and um, and Ira know Shiano very well, and and I know um, Kendall knows him from the Ohio State University. Is he? Do you think he's ready to get back in co- into college coaching? And do you think that uh, he's the kind of guy an Oregon would want? Let me let me start. He very guy. much wants to get back in the NFL. Uh, if he thinks um, that interim step step will help them, uh, let's be honest, guys. Uh, as much as Shiano wants to be a head coach again uh, on the NFL stage, I don't think that's going to happen. It's an unmitigated disaster here in Tampa. Uh, not only was he unsuccessful on the scoreboard, but as Joe can attest, uh, he didn't make any friends. Uh, I've, I've never seen uh, such a backlash uh, against a head coach, and it got very personal down here. People said he ruined Josh Freeman. He leaked Josh Freeman's drug test. It got very ugly. Everybody in the national media was weighing in and killing Chiano. Uh, he might be tarnished forever on the NFL stage, uh, but in his mind, he, he's an NFL coach. So, you know, if, if taking that job, Joe, will help springboard him back uh, to the pros, uh, he'll take it. I think the thing with Chiano is, uh, like you said, he, he, didn't get, he didn't gain many friends in NFL circles. In fact, some uh, personnel executives that I talked to 
say basically, you know, guys can't work with him, and you know he's not very respectful of how he gets his points across. And if you don't win, I mean, big time immediately, so that the right. team can see that your methods are working right now, then you're not going to have that kind of respect. You're not going to have that that carte blanche to you know to do what he did, in my opinion, and others to. Josh Freeman, because you guys were on the verge of something. You had, in that division, you had the four best young quarterbacks uh, or three of the four best young quarterbacks in the NFL. You had Breeze, and you had Cam, and you had Freeman, and they were all burgeoning. Well, Breeze was where he was going to be, but the others were burgeoning. And we all and Matt thought Ryan, that Josh, Matt Ryan, too. And Matt yeah. Ryan. We all thought that, you know, Freeman was the guy, but what I'm hearing is uh, Shiano does not have that touch with the quarterback and those prickly-type personalities. And so if you can't handle quarterbacks as an NFL coach, you're probably – and don't have an intermediary that can handle that and you get out of it and you just say, well, this is what I want, and you take care of it. If you can't do that, you're not going to be an NFL head coach. You might be a coordinator or an assistant. Here's the other thing. Uh, Urban Meyer likes to keep his guys close for at least two years. Now, unless something happens today that I'm not aware of, that Chiano is going to be back next year. So I, you know, I, I, I would kind of doubt that he would go anywhere on the college level just yet. Well, I, w- I would, um, and I'll, I'll defer ultimately uh, to our um, guests from Oregon on this. But I, as you guys know, I'm a big one for talking about a program's DNA. And, you know, when, when you introduce a Greg Schiano to an Oregon, you're messing with that because Oregon is, to me, is pinball football. It's putting up a lot of points. It's, it's exciting football. Frankly, the kind that Willie Taggart uh, has going at the University of South Florida. And, and uh, so, you know, these days – grinded out uh, 17 to 14 football isn't going to cut it at certain schools. And I believe that's Oregon. Uh, I would put them in that category. So uh, to me, Shiano, uh, look, I think the dude can coach. Um, he did a heck of a job at Rutgers, but uh, as Ira noted, he's a little bit on the wacky side um, and he's a total control freak and definitely not a player's coach. And I just see him being a, not a good fit for Oregon at all. Let's go to Ryan Thornburn, who is, of course, our guest from the Registered Guard newspaper in Eugene. Joining us also, the big sports kahuna himself, Cleveland's own Kendall Lewis. He'll talk a little bit more about the Big Ten in Ohio State. Tim Williams at the baseball meetings. Ryan, to Joe's question, um, do you think that a Greg Schiano would be the kind of person that uh, the Oregon Duck Nation would be excited about? Uh, no, I don't. I think he's a candidate because um, basically by not only getting rid of Mark Helfrich, but they had the longest tenured staff in the nation. So there's a lot of assistants with 20, 30 years experience on the staff who are now kind of in limbo. Um, Mullins is just kicking the tires on maybe changing the, the culture and getting away from Chip Kelly. So I think they looked at Shiano as, you know, an alternative, a defensive coach, uh, someone that Urban Meyer, you know, has kind of restored his credibility. I think Urban Meyer is good friends with Phil Knight. So I can see why he's a candidate, but I don't ultimately see him um, being what they're looking for. I think they're looking for a sitting head coach who can take what they have and make it better. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, as of right now, we don't know who's going to be that uh, head coach in Oregon. We don't know if it's going to be Willie Taggart or Greg Schiano or someone we have not heard of yet. But we do know this. We know the final four in college football. And that would be Alabama. That would be Ohio State. That would be Clemson. And that would be the University of Washington. Um, are you guys cool with the final four? And I'm going to start with our guest, Ryan. You cover the, you know, the Pac-12. You know what's going on. 
with regard to um, the disrespect, if you will, of Washington. Give us a you know, give us uh, your your best view of what uh, what we're about to see in this Washington football team. Well, I'm sure you guys know Chris Peterson from Boise State. He, you know, famously beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Really good coach. I think Oregon is kind of regretting not trying to get him when Chip Kelly left um, and promoting Mark Helfrich. He uh, was a former assistant of Mike Bellotti briefly at Oregon and, and probably would have considered that job, although um, Bellotti said that Peterson really didn't want to follow in Chip Kelly's footsteps here. But anyway, he's building a monster at Washington. This is a very young team. Their quarterback is a true sophomore. Uh, their left tackle is a true sophomore. Running back's a true sophomore. And they have a wide receiver, John Ross, who is really amazing player. And a really good defense, one of the better defenses in the Pac-12, one of the best secondaries in the country. So it'll be interesting to see with that much time to prepare if he can come up with some wrinkles to, to get Alabama off their game a little bit. Obviously, Florida tried some things, some trick trickeration that didn't work. But um, they're definitely, you know, the David and this matchup with Goliath, but they are a really good team and, and clearly the best team on the West Coast. Joe, um, you want to talk? Uh, any questions you want to talk about from the Final Four? Well, I think they got it right, uh, the the selection committee. And you know, I guess we just lost the Penn State audience, but um, you know, too bad, so sad. You shouldn't have lost to Pitt. You know, losing to Pitt is a disqualifier, which is what Penn State did. Uh, had they won that game, they would be in the playoffs, and the Buckeyes would be going. Uh, to the Rose Bowl, but um, I do think that of of that the other three besides Alabama, um, I know Clemson played Alabama to the wire last year, and and of course they have Deshaun Watson and and all that back. But I think at this point, the only one of of that group of three that I would give a, a real solid chance to beat Alabama would be Ohio State. Um, it's the Urban Meyer factor, but mostly it's the uh, the Barrett factor. You've got a senior quarterback who has played in huge games before, and is not going to, you know, wet his pants when he looks across the line and sees the Crimson Tide over there. And it's a good thing because Alabama's defense is uh, one of the best we've seen around here in a long, long, long time. I think I would wet my pants if I were looking on the other side and saw well, the would, Alabama defense. You, I would expect that from. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> just, just speaking of defense, uh, I don't think Clemson has it uh, to compete with, with, with the big boys on the big stage. I just don't think they do. Uh, I agree with Joe's main point. I think they probably got it right. Uh, and our guest says that uh, Washington is as good as advertised. They score a lot of points. And they didn't leave any room for doubt um, in the conference title game. They took care of business. Uh, if if you're going to look at Penn State, Jim, let's be realistic. Uh, what are you going to say to the Michigan people at that point? Uh, same number of losses and, and 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 beat up on Penn State in a head-to-head matchup. So I, I think the simplest thing to do was was go with the four that they have. I think there's a lot more interest in the 2-3 matchup than the 1-4 matchup, rightfully so. Uh, if Washington plays a credible close game, uh, I'm, giving, I'm giving that program all the props they can handle because we all know what it's like to play Saban when he's got time to prepare. I spoke yesterday to Kendall about this, and Kendall had a pretty interesting take. So I'm going to turn it over to uh, my good friend, uh a fan of the Ohio State University. Kendall, make your case, my friend. Listen, guys. Uh, the, the one thing that I've noticed throughout the, uh, this whole period after Ohio State lost to Penn State was I, I think most guys were, were, were forecasting a hit. And they weren't dealing with the last four weeks of the season or so. They were dealing with when it comes to that final vote. And almost all of them, I would probably say that I've heard and seen and 
been on their shows and they've been on mine, I'd probably say that 90% of those people would vote Ohio State out because they say, well, if Penn State wins out and, and, and Washington wins, you have four conference champions. Yeah, that's true. You'd have four conference champions and you'd have a playoff field. But you wouldn't have a playoff field with the four best teams in the nation. And, and see, that's the thing. There's ambiguity as to what the committee was looking for. Were they, were they looking for four conference champions? Well, if they were, there are five conferences, major conferences. Uh, were they looking for the best teams? If they were, they didn't put the four best teams in. Um, what, were, what were they looking for? I, I would say um, if I were putting the four best teams in, four best, that would be, in my opinion, in my eyes, all the game. I was just watching a football game a moment ago because I do a lot of draft stuff, and I was looking at Mitch Trubisky and blah, blah, blah. But I was watching uh, football. I've been watching it all season, every game, whatever. The teams that I've seen that are the best, the, the best team I've seen all year, offense, defense, special teams, coaching, Michigan, without a doubt, hands down. The second best team I've seen all year would probably be Ohio State. The third best team is Alabama, and then the fourth best team is Clemson. So that should be, in my opinion, the four in the playoff, regardless of whether they're conference champions or not. But the national media, ESPN most notably, has driven the car of, well, you have to put Penn State in because they're conference champions and they beat Ohio State. Listen, if you can watch Penn State and Ohio State play in any game, even the one Ohio State lost to Penn State, and say that Penn State is a better football team than Ohio State, you don't know what you're looking at. Period. End of discussion. That's it. Last year when Ohio State lost uh, to Michigan State on the last play of the game, the committee had the nerve to leave Ohio State out. And then Ohio State comes back and beats Michigan 42-3, a 10-win team. 42-3. Are you kidding me? They left them out. And you saw with the playoff that Ohio State is the only team that could have given Alabama a run for their money. So what I'm saying is, yeah, Washington did what they, were, did what they had to do. Don't give me this strength of schedule stuff. I, I hate metrics. It has no place. And so when you start talking about metrics to really, you know, qualify who you like, okay, I'll take it, but whatever. And so I've been assailed all week by national media who've been calling me personally, tweeting me personally, saying, um, you're a fanboy, Ohio State doesn't deserve to be in. And the one thing I've said all season, guys, especially during this time, is, okay, so Ohio State doesn't belong belong in, but they're in, and I'll take it. And that makes these guys so angry. But what they don't understand is Ohio State is a name brand. There is not one college who has a football team and has fielded the football team for the last 60 years that has not had a significant dip in their fortune, but one, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So that means the bully on the block, regardless of who's the bully right now, over the last 60 years, that spans my lifetime and then some, is Ohio State. They were good when I was born. They're, they're going to be good probably in another 10 or 15 years, you know. So people are tired of seeing the same people beat up on everybody all the time. So there's a national bias. I'm not saying it because I'm an Ohio State fan. I try not to be a fan when I'm commentating because it takes away from my opinion. But if you look at it, Ohio State was good 10 years ago. They were good 10 years before that, 10 years before that. And so any conversation that you have about who belongs in a championship situation in this country, in college football, most any year, Ohio State has to be in that, con- that, that, that situation. So when that committee is sitting there, and they're looking at Michigan, who's had a significant drop in their fortune, uh, probably about 10 years. They'll never beat Ohio State again. That's what I tell my Michigan guys. Um, uh, when you're looking at 
Washington has a significant dip in their fortunes. Um, they're a coming program, but they're a nice team. As I watch Colorado and Washington, what I tweeted was, and I, no disrespect to my Oregon brother, if you put Washington and, Col- and uh, Colorado together, if Ohio State plays the way they played against Oklahoma, they couldn't beat them. Now, here's the final thing I'm going to say. They're talking about Clemson, Ohio State. That's, they're not going to beat Ohio State, and I'll tell you why. Because they have no defense at all. All those big, pretty athletes getting off the bus, yeah, 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 whatever. They can't stop anybody. And so if Ohio State comes off the bus and they say, listen, we're going to play Ohio State football, Clemson's gone because Ohio State has a better defense than anybody but probably a handful of teams. That will be Wisconsin, Michigan, Alabama. Second thing is, Ohio State's the only team in this Final Four that can beat Alabama. Alabama is a one-sided, rather ordinary team. They're all defense this year. And that's what people fail to realize is that year to year, teams change their personality. Alabama does it with a different, you know, uh, come-lately quarterback every year. Jalen Hurts has a chance to be the man for three or four years, but he's not where he's going to be next year. So, therefore, they can't score enough on Ohio State. Forget Alabama's defense. They're going to be a pill. I I promise you. But they're not going to be able to score enough should Ohio State get to that game to beat Ohio State, in my opinion. That's not fanboy stuff. That's uh, analytically looking at. So, you know, there's a lot in this Ohio State thing. Um, And and as you can see from the layers I've just laid out, you know, people don't want to mention those things. And so that goes into, well, they should have left Ohio State out. Fine. Then they'll slay whoever ends up in the Rose Bowl. That's I, that, that's good. That's good. I, and I didn't care. See, I'm like this. If I can win on the third Saturday of November against that team up north, I don't care what happens after. I, I really don't. I would rather in any year, in any year, beat Michigan rather than play for a national title. That's it. If I could play for a national title and lose to Michigan, I don't want that. I could go seriously. I could really win that game against Michigan every year and play in the Rose Bowl, I'd be fine. That, that's how much these playoff games mean to me, which, by the way, is dumb. They set them up wrong. What they should do is they've got five conferences. That says to me, off rip, there should be an eight-team playoff. Five conference champions and the three next best at-large teams. So this year it would have been down to what? Who was number eight? I think it's – see, you had Michigan's out, you had Penn State's out, and the third was – was it Wisconsin, I think? It's Wisconsin yeah. right now. Okay. So th- those would have been your eight, and I would have been satisfied with that. And in any year you've got at least that many teams. Say, well, if I get on the road, <laughs> I can win. This is one of the uh, all-time great uh, – Monologues, Mr. Williams. We, we're never going to touch this. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead and get it. Go ahead and get it. Now, I was, brother, brother Kaufman, um, do you want to speak on behalf of the Southeastern Conference and your buddy, Mr. L- Mr. Saban, and his Alabama Crimson Tide? Well, how am I going to talk up the SEC, Joe, when, when the Florida Gators can't find a quarterback in, in the Sunshine State? I mean, it's just totally baffling. Uh, if they had a decent quarterback, Guys, I, I think there's a chance the Gators are, uh, are, are in the playoffs. Um, it was way too much pressure on their defense. Uh, I'm just going to say the SEC is a little bit down. Uh, Ohio State's up. Who am I to argue with Kendall? Uh, and, and I dare Henderson to, uh, to, take, to take the man on. Henderson, you're not going to do it. Uh, are you kidding? I grew up in Ohio. Give me a break. <laughs> but, uh, the... Uh... The SEC is not a little bit down. The SEC is mediocre. There, I said it. Uh. The, the, the SEC East is Florida and a bunch of other schools named Purdue. Uh, it's it, it, it's it's not that bad. Now, come on, give them something. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, Illinois. Uh, but uh, thank you, but, Lovey uh, Smith. Yes. There you go. But but here's the thing, Alabama did pretty much maul 
the uh, the SEC this year. They had a tough game at LSU, it was ten nothing, but uh, for the most part, uh, they ran roughshod to it. And year in and year out, the SEC. It pains me to say this, but they are the the preeminent conference out there. I don't think there's any question about it. And but the question is not you know last year or next year or whatever. The question is is what's going to happen this year. And I will stand by my statement that the Buckeyes are the only team of, among the other uh, the other three that have a legitimate chance uh, to beat Alabama. And the uh, there's there's something interesting there though too. If um, you, you talk about first off, uh, Ira, to your point that if the Gators had a quarterback, they might be in the playoffs. Well, they could have had a quarterback. His name is Quentin Flowers, who's putting up video game numbers for USF. But Florida won him as a cornerback, not a quarterback. Wow. So uh, nice uh, nice recruiting there. But uh, if and why and, and just, Joe, why would Lane Kiffin even look twice at USF? Because of Quentin Flowers. There you go. Absolutely. And if Willie Taggart leaves, which is possible, and Lane Kiffin is your new USF head coach, which is also possible, what impact would that have on Alabama's preparation for the national championship? And for a history lesson, we can go back to when Florida State uh, had Mark Richt, who had already uh, accepted the job at the University of Georgia, but they were playing in the BCS championship game against Oklahoma. And Richt, sure, he stayed on. And he, you know, he said, oh, well, my, my head's there. Don't worry about it. But I covered that game. Florida State was not prepared to play that night, and they got smoked. So there are X factors going into this that we don't know about yet. Now, on the other hand, Ira, what if your man uh, Shiano leaves and uh, there goes your defense uh, at Ohio state. So I, uh, I look at these situations right now in a vacuum and not a, you know, the December in college football is a very volatile period, but uh, you know, what I see on paper right now in that vacuum is that Ohio state can definitely hang with Alabama, and one thing we know for sure, they won't be afraid of them. Hey, one well, more thing, uh, Jim. One more thing to Henderson's point about Mark Rick, uh, mm-hmm. and, and Joe was here in '08. Uh, it, it can even happen on the pro level, Mr. Williams, uh, in that Lane Kiffin's father, <laughs> Mr. Monty Kiffin, mm-hmm. uh, announced with four games uh, left uh, in '08, and the Bucks at nine and three, needing one more win out of four to make the playoffs that he was joining his son and the Bucks proceeded to go 0-4. Gruden got fired and their defense down the stretch, uh, Joe will agree, was abominable. And fell apart. And we heard that Monty Kiffin was spending most of the week recruiting for his son. So it, it, it can happen. Uh, there's a lot of dynamics going into uh, the final month of a season. Absolutely. Well, guys, I'll tell you what, we're coming to the end here where we need to give everybody the last call on this. Uh, By the way, we want to quickly thank Ryan Thornburn, who joined us from the Register Guard newspaper in Eugene. He didn't have, uh, couldn't stay with us the whole time, but uh, Ryan's a great writer. Check his work out at the Register Guard. You can Google it, Register Guard newspaper in Eugene. That's Ryan Thornburn. Great guy. Uh, He was with us on the coaching search. Um, Quick note to Tim Williams. Tim, jump over and let us know anything going on at the winter meetings. I know you jumped off there a couple of times probably to check in. Anything going on and give us your take and then uh, your social media. Well, there's nothing new since we started this podcast, so nothing new yet, but the most recent move, of course, being Chris Sale to the Red Sox, and I will put a button on that real quick. Red Sox fans, it's this simple. If Chris Sale is everything he's advertised to be and continues to be everything he's advertised to be in October, which is an unknown since he's never pitched in the playoffs to this point, then it's a successful trade. The moment he loses a postseason game, the city of Boston is going to get very weird for the Red Sox pitching rotation. It did when Rick Porcello lost game one of the ALDS this year. 
it did when David Price lost game two of the ALDS. He got booed in the introductions to game three. Well, guess what? Now, if the rotations work out the way they're supposed to, your game seven starter in the ALCS, if the Red Sox get that far, Mr. David Price. So a lot riding on this. I think it just upped the pressure for everyone in the Red Sox rotation. And if you're looking for what might happen to respond to this, maybe Stephen Wright gets dealt because he's without a job in the Red Sox rotation now. And you can follow me at Twitter at Tim Wright's Sports. Okay, thank you. Our other guest, Kendall Lewis from uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And Kendall, uh, some final thoughts on this week, what you saw, what you're looking for, and your social media, my friend. That first, I'm at I'm on Twitter at the BSK says or the BSK at the BSK says dot com. Um, as far as what I'm looking at, I'm I'm already into uh, NFL draft mode. So right now, this is the time of year really with covering the Cleveland Browns. That time of the year is before the season starts, really. Uh, but uh, I'm into that now. I'm not worried much about the Buckeyes because. At this point, I'm I'm really not caring whether they win or lose. It's it's my friends in the media who call me personally. They don't call me out in the media. They call me personally and send me little messages throughout the night. You know, they tease me and tell me that Ohio State's nothing and blah, blah, blah. It's that that, that fires me up. So I put it out there so that they know that, you know, they wish they had a team they could follow that was like Ohio State. It's not my fault. It's not a Buckeye Nation's fault. It's not the playoff committee's fault. In fact, it is. I think the playoff committee is who these fans should be angry at, not Ohio State, because if they put their team in, then they, they don't have a problem. They have a problem with Ohio State because they feel that they're other deserving teams, but they should be angry with the committee for being ambiguous as far as who, what, criterias are and all of that so uh, we'll be talking about that for the next few days i'm sure as well as those cavaliers so that's what we'll be doing uh, here recently right here on the bskstairs.com and at twitter at BSKStairs. thanks a lot kendall and uh, mr you know mr ira kaufman who happily got his closer in mark melanson and his buccaneers are in tied for first place you got to be a happy camper what's going on with you Absolutely. And I'm not uh, satisfied yet, Jimmy. I want a left fielder, too. So let's see what happens. But, okay. Uh, at iKaufman76 on Twitter, Jim. And, and, and a quick note for the rest of the American League uh, that is now trembling uh, about the new-look Red Sox. Yes, Joe, they have a heck of a lineup. I think they scored the most runs in baseball. They've got Bogarts. they got Betts. Pedroia is still very good. But, Mr. Henderson, may I remind our listeners, let's talk about what they lost. They lost the heart and soul of their organization, Mr. David Ortiz. And besides the sheer numbers, which were preposterous for a guy of his age, uh, Ortiz's leadership cannot be replaced, Joseph, by Mr. Chris Sale, of all people. So I'm not seeding the Red Sox anything. They're formidable on paper, Joe, but they're going to learn that Big Poppy uh, is not easily forgotten. Here, here. Let me say this, Ira, right quick. Uh, you know what else they got? What? In the LDS by Cleveland. So I'm setting up our rivalry next year, Ira. There you go. That's why that happened. I think that's exactly why the Chris Sale trade happened. They got beat so bad by Cleveland's rotation, they had to upgrade. And this is their response to Corey Kluber, and he had better win. That's two guys down. When the other two come back, when numbers two and three come back, then we'll see which which team is better. That's all I got to say. Okay, well, enough smack talk, boys. Uh, <laughs> there's plenty of time for that. All right, Henderson, you close us out, buddy. Okay, well, you can find me on Twitter at Tampa, And um, 
Well, I've got a long range view. I'm going to be looking to see what Chris Sale does um, when the Red Sox do throwback jerseys, if they ever do that. Um, could, could be a shaky time for him. <laughs> Something <laughs> but, just uh, happened there. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, um, I'm going to be really paying attention in the next uh, 24 to 48 hours to uh, the West Coast of the United States to see if they come to the West Coast of Florida to get a football coach for the University of Oregon. Because if they do, that'll start a lot of dominoes tumbling. And um, it, uh, it's going to leave a lot of uh, athletic directors scrambling. As Greg Schiano becomes the next head coach at the University of South Florida. Yes. <laughs> Um, and Josh, no. Josh Freeman will be his offensive coordinator. Jim. Right. At, at which point in time, I will take back my money that I send them every year for the alumni fund. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, um, again, many thanks to Kendall Lewis, who joined us from Ohio. Tim Williams covering the baseball winter meetings for us. Of course, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys themselves. And I, on the way out, um, uh, I'll be watching for what happens to Willie Taggart and also a quick final note on um, the fact that George Steinbrenner didn't make it to baseball's hall of fame. Uh, I felt myself personally was a little bit of a, of a, a sad thing because I think at the time that George bought the New York Yankees, um, they were in the, the midst of a, a very bad time. And uh, he he became the first baseball owner in a very long time who actually was the face of the franchise for for a good many years, at least till they got their stars back. So I'm sad that George didn't make it, but there's always other years and hopefully that'll happen. So anyway, thank you for joining us on this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams once again. For Kendall Lewis in Cleveland, from Tim Williams at the Major League Baseball Winter Meetings, and from Boston. Also, the Sunshine Boys themselves, Joe Henderson and Ira Kaufman, we bid you a good day. <laughs>